Turn your Bibles to uh, Ruth chapter 4. Uh, for those who haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Ruth, and it is rich. We've been there here for uh, five weeks, and uh, it's kind of like eating really dense chocolate cake. Uh, you can't eat it too fast, right? So really, we should probably go eight or ten weeks, but we'll, uh, we'll drink a glass of milk with it and keep going. Um, it has been really, really good uh, to study the book of Ruth. Um, so good for our souls to know our Lord uh, in a better way, in a deeper way, to understand what he's done throughout history. If you've missed the book of Ruth with us, I'm going to give you as quickly as I can an, uh, an update of what's happened through the first three chapters. The book of Ruth is written, uh, as it says in the very beginning, it is written in the time of the judges. And the time of a judge, the judges is Obviously, in the Old Testament, it predates the King David and the, and the prophets. It is a time when Israel has now occupied the land that they had been promised, uh, as we see happening in the book of Joshua. Now, in the book of Judges, we see that it's a very chaotic and hectic time. Uh, there's a phrase that continues to come, out, come up in this book, and it is the phrase, and, and again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. It is a mantra that goes throughout the book because it is something that keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And as we saw in, in the book of Judges, God would then send someone to deliver them from whatever trouble that they had gotten themselves into because of the evil that they had been doing. And this great man or woman would be called a judge and they would help them move out of whatever situation and there would be a short time of celebration and then again they would do evil on the side of the Lord and and you as you're reading the book of Judges you're just can we get past this it seems like we are always just in this cycle and, and for you and me we've been in that same cycle before too haven't we amen that same cycle of uh, and failing and coming back and failing and God rescuing us once again and so it is a uh, uh, it is a, a troublesome cycle that we find ourselves in and that the children of Israel found themselves in. But then there's this story. Okay. The story of Ruth during the time of the judges in which we meet Ruth and Naomi. And the first person we hear about is a man named Elimelech, God is king. That's what his name means. But he leaves the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's what it means in Hebrew. Because there's a famine, God is chastising his people again, still calling them back to himself, saying, wake up, the, the way you're going is the wrong way, uh, come back to me. Bethlehem is, is in the midst of that, and so he, he moves his family to the dreaded place, Moab, the, the, the place that has nothing to do with the God of, of the Israelites, but has all things to do with those things against the people of God. And so they go, and they make habitation there, and they live, and in that time, they their sons married uh, women from Moab, which they expressly were not to do, and God's judgments on them. These women don't have, uh, they, these women, uh, they end up being widows. The sons die. Elimelech dies himself. And so now you have these three widows. They have no children of their own, even though they've been married to these men for 10 years. Pretty peculiar that you have two uh, of these women who neither one of them uh, are able to give birth over this long period of time. And so now, uh, they, have to, they have to come to a different conclusion. They have to go a different way. And the beautiful thing we hear in the book of Ruth is, is this voice of God calling out, come home, come home, come home, come home. 
And so Naomi says, okay, I'm going to go home. And to, to go quickly to the story, Ruth goes with her and she clings to her and she has this love for Naomi that is peculiar. It goes beyond whatever is required by the law. It goes beyond whatever is required by social customs, by good graces even. It is a love that just makes us go, why? <laughs> you're, not, you're not getting anything from this, but she loved this woman and said, I will go with you, make your God my God, your people my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to stick with you. A bulldog kind of love, right? <laughs> Just won't let go. And that's the kind of love that Naomi that Naomi receives from Ruth, and it stands out as a peculiar, peculiar thing. Naomi goes home. She is a bitter woman at this point. And there it just happens we see that uh, she sends her, her uh, daughter-in-law out to glean in the fields, and there a man named Boaz meets her and takes care of her. And he has the same kind of love that... Ruth had for Naomi, we see it now again in this man, where he has this great love for Ruth, and he takes care of her beyond what the law would require, much beyond that, beyond what social custom would require. He is gracious and generous to her. And then we saw last week in Ruth chapter 3 that Naomi says, I want you to go do this, and she, has her, she puts her up to kind of a shady thing. <laughs> she says, I want you to go to Boaz. Uh, and the, the threshing field, when all the men have gone to sleep after drinking and having a great time, and I want you to pull up the cover, and I want you to slide in there with them. Mmm, that's a little shady. And Boaz is awakened, and he blesses her. And what he has said to her before in chapter 2, he said, May God bless you, Ruth. May the, the wings of our God be spread over you. May you hide in those wings. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And as she is snuggled in there, and she, he says, you know, who are you? She says, now, will you redeem me? Basically, she's saying, will you marry me and let your wings cover me? So what Boaz had said, let God's wing cover you, she says, now, let them be your wings. <laughs> May you be the wings of God. And he agrees. And then this beautiful thing that happened at the end, he sends her home in the cover of darkness so no one will know what's going on, so that people won't think that she is, she's a shady kind of person, that she is uh, what they might fear, that she might be one of those Moabite women. And, and he sends her off with what? How many scoops? Do you remember? Six scoops. Not seven scoops of, of barley, but six scoops of barley. The number that is one short of completion. It's as if to say... There's more coming. There's more coming. And that's been out through the whole story. There's this promise of God that there's more coming. There's more coming. Just hang in there. God is not done yet. God is a gracious and generous God. He is a God of provision. Hold on. There's even more coming. If you thought this was great, there's even more coming. And so today, there's this excitement like there's something more. We're not done yet. God is not done with this family. There's something even more. Today we're going to see that God redeems and the redeemers redeem themselves. They redeem others. They are redemptive people. And here we are in chapter 4 and Boaz has sent her away. It's now morning and he says, I'm going to take care of everything. So this is what the problem that Boaz is going to have. 
In this culture, there were redeemers. The redeemers were kinsmen. And the kinsmen, the closest kinsmen, had the responsibility to redeem or the right to redeem their family members. So let's, go, let's talk a little about what it means to redeem. There are three kinds of redemption that we see uh, found in the Old Testament having to deal with, with family members. So if you had a family member who was in very difficult times and they, uh, they could not take care of themselves financially, you can think about uh, Naomi and Ruth here. They had no way to take care of themselves. They had no husbands. They had no brothers. There was no uncles. There wasn't anybody there to take care of them. There's no job they, could, they can go out and get. And so they were left out. And so those kinds of people who found themselves in a terrible financial situation would oftentimes sell themselves into slavery. They would sell themselves so that they could pay a debt or that they could be taken care of in the midst of slavery. And so they would get some kind of portion for whatever work they did, but they would be holden to a master. So part of what a kins, one of the ways a kinsman could redeem someone is to take them out of slavery, to give them freedom again, to say, I'm going to financially take care of you. I'm going to pay your debt. And so now you're going to be all right. A second type of redemption that we'll see in this story is the redemption of land, where a family has become so poor that they've had to give away their land. They've had to pay off debts or it hasn't, the, the land hasn't done well, and so they lose the land. Well, the, the, the people in the family who had been given that land, if they're going to sell it, they could say, well, we're going to buy that back. That really belongs to our family. It's, it's a family property. And so you could redeem the land. The other kind of redemption was if there were no offsprings to carry on the family name. And this is the same case here where Naomi has a husband who has died. She's not going to have any more children. Her sons who would carry on the family name and the inheritance that they would be, their name would go on and on has now been cut off. And all you have now is Ruth. And she's not really a family. I mean, she is not necessarily, you know, the same kind of family. She's not, she's not an Israelite. And so here we have this, this need for redemption. We find two kinds of needs for redemption in this story. One of the land that's been sold by, by uh, Naomi, she is now impoverished. And we also see that the name, the family name has been cut off. There's uh, one of the greatest curses in the Old Testament was to say, uh, one of the fearful curses of the ancient world was to say, may your seed perish and your name die out. <laughs> that's how you really got somebody. You're going to start a fight, that's what you say. May your seed perish and may your name die out. Worse than you could say to someone. So that's where we pick up the story today. Boaz says, I'm going to have it all in control. I'll take care of it. So he goes to the city gate, and there at the city gate where all the business, all the, the legal stuff happens in the community, he sits down and he's waiting for this kinsman redeemer, the one who is closer for redemption than he is. And so this guy has the right. He can go first. He can claim uh, Ruth. He can claim Naomi. He can claim the land, whatever. He, he gets, he has the first right. And so he comes in, and this is what he says in verse 1. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He calls out to this guy. And the guy turned around and sat down, and they began to have this discussion. Now, what we miss here in the English when it says, turn aside, friend, sit down here, as we see in the ESV, that it's not exactly what it says. In fact, the reason it's not exactly what it says is because you really can't translate it very well. The word he used is really something like this. Uh, it's like Ananelli Talanelli, something like that. That's kind of the Hebrew sound to it. 
which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, there's no like roots to those words. You go, oh, well, this is what it means. It really doesn't mean anything. They just kind of rhyme together. In other words, what he's saying is we would say Joe Schmo. It's not really a name, right? Like Joe Schmo walked by. So he basically says, hey, Joe Schmo, come here and sit down. It's going to be important for later in the story. So Joe Schmo sits down with them and they began to discuss the deal. And he says to him, now, I, I, what I'll do is, you, are, you know that Naomi has this piece of property, and you can buy it if you want. It belonged to a relative, Elimelech. And he initially says, I'll do it. Let's, uh, the end of verse 4 says this. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, now the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. So he's seeing, he's seeing a different kind of redemption going on here. In order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer, Joe Schmo, said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, so, so Boaz says, okay, you can have the land, but that also means you got to take the woman. And if you take the woman, you got to take all these problems associated with it. He goes, yeah, I think I'm busy. I don't think that's going to work for me, actually. He has a wife, I'm sure, and a family. They're like, we're not going to add this other group of people to our house, right? And if so, you're going to have to take care of them. And all of our stuff, part of the inheritance goes to them. And some of our people, I don't want any part of that, right? That's going to cost me way too much. My name is going to be damaged. Joe Schmo is saying this. My name is going to be damaged if I bring this woman into the house. We are not going to have a very good history. We won't have the same kind of history we would have if this woman comes into the house. So he passes. And so what does Boaz says? Got it. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the whole thing. I'll take this woman. I'll marry her. I'll take the mother-in-law. I'll take the land. And I will put everything into this. I, it's going to cost him a great deal. He has to actually buy this land back from somebody else. At this point, the land has already been sold to somebody else. He's going to have to buy back the land, and now he has to take this older woman into his home and this younger woman, and he's got to provide for them, and now they're going to march forward in life uh, in some ways restricted. It's going to cost him a great deal, but D Boaz has a Hased kind of love, doesn't he? And so this Hased kind of love goes beyond what league, the law requires. It goes beyond what the culture requires. He is going to love them in this moment, and he's going to have an enduring love for them. Boaz is a redeemer. And so he marries. The first part we see is that there is a, a need for redemption. Then we see the provision for the redemption. Boaz redeems, takes Ruth to be his wife. And it costs them. And then we see the glory of the redemption or the glory of the redeemers. A little further down in verse 11, it says this. When the, the people gathered around in the midst of all this and seeing all this uh, amazing things happening in their community. In verse 11, it says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel. May, may, may the Lord make this woman... Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar, 
bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They're blessing her, saying, now, now as she comes into the house, may she be blessed and may she be a blessing. Just like Rachel and Leah, these great women of faith. And so when you, when you hear about great women of the faith in the Bible, you hear, actually, you usually hear Leah and Rachel. In this context, it's Rachel and Leah. And, and they're saying, listen, she's going to be this great woman of God that is going to affect the whole community of faith forever. May that happen. May God bless her like that. Not that she just is redeemed, but that she's going to be a part of the redemption of all of Israel. Isn't that great? Do you realize how far off she was at the beginning of the story? Nobody even knew her name. She lived in Moab and everyone says, boo, Moab is horrible. She was worshiping Chamosh. She was, she was practicing terrible religious practices and God called her from that place and said now sit among Leah and Rachel you're going to be the foundation of my redemption for all of Israel can someone say amen is that not good news isn't our God full of good news he calls people who are desperately far from God and he calls them to himself and he makes something of them that's good news. So they begin to say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Bless her and all of Israel. May she be a pillar of faith for all of us. May we follow after that example and we be like her as you redeem Israel. But there are more redeemers in this story than you might have guessed at the beginning. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has now left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more, than, more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Listen to the language here. Who is the, who's doing redemption here? Who's expressing this chesed kind of love? In verse 14 and 15, it's saying actually, they're recognizing that Ruth is expressing this Hasid kind of love and in a way has redeemed Naomi. But then there's a little secret in here. She begins talking about he, may he, he is the one who has restored and redeemed you. But she's not talking, they're not talking about Boaz, they're talking about the baby. Ruth and Boaz. I've had a baby. Remember, this is the same Ruth that was 10 years and couldn't have a baby, and now she gets married, and immediately she has a baby. God's favor there, and she's now holding this baby, and they're saying, now this one, let, let this one be to you, Ruth, and to Naomi, the restorer of life. Naomi, may this baby be the nourisher, nourisher of you in your old age. You are blessed because you have Ruth as your daughter-in-law. She is better than seven sons. And so now we see there is in her arms a redeemer. One who will redeem Naomi to give her her family a line, an inheritance that will go on and on. This little baby. 
Who are our redeemers in this story? We see that Boaz is a redeemer. We see that Ruth is a redeemer. And then we see this child is a redeemer. It gets even better. Look in verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Did you catch the last names there? This baby's name is Obed. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So this is written sometime after David comes king, and they recount this story, and that's how we get to David, they're saying. This is the history of David. This is how King David came about because of this woman, this far-off woman who was brought near and then had this baby named Obed who is serving in the line of redemption. You see, King David was good news to Israel. Remember, we talked about this cycle of going over and over again. We talked about the first week about these chieftains who would cheat people who weren't godly people. And now we have King David, the one they say, who, who God says was a man after his own heart. He breaks that cycle. Now we have this king, this king who loves the Lord. And they're saying, look, this is where he came from. He came from Ruth. He came from Boaz. And he came from little baby Obed. God is about redeeming his people. God throughout the story has been working, working in such a way that, you know, it's only God could be doing this. Do you remember how it says that when, when uh, Ruth went out to the field, she, ha he ha she happened to be, by luck had it, it happened to happen that she was in the field of Boaz, and we know really it's just a wink saying, you know God was doing that. How is it that this little baby is going to be the grandfather of King David? Just lucky, I guess. Just that the, 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 the kinsman redeemer, the, the Joe Schmo happened to be walking around, the same kind of language is used there. Joe Schmo just happened to be there. And he says, hey, come here. You know, just happened to be that way. No, God is in control. And God has a plan to redeem his people, to call them from far away. For those who have wandered, he's, he is calling them back, come home, come home. God has a sovereign plan, but it, it doesn't end with David, right? <laughs> because King David, the, 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 from, the, from the tribe of Judah, he's going to have his own great, 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 grandson. And he's going to be born where? In the city of David which is Bethlehem, because God's plan is greater than King David. You see, King David is going to help for a generation, but Jesus is going to come and help for all time. He's going to break this cycle that keeps going over and over again and release us from that. He's going to proclaim the captives to be free. He's going to give land to a people who did not have a land. In fact, we have an internal inheritance when the disciples asked about Jesus, he said, you'll find me in my father's house. I'll be preparing a place for you. We have a homeland. He's released the captives. He's provided land for those who had lost all things, and he has given a name to dead men. He's given us a new name. Well, we were dead in our sins, he has made us alive in Christ. 
And now we have a name that is after his name. We're in the family. He is our redeemer. And this story just works. And that's why I'm wearing purple today, because in, in joy of the king, right? Jesus came and he saved us. He has redeemed us. But we have this pillar of faith in Boaz that reminds us of the great men of old, of Enoch and Jabez. And we have this woman of God who stands as a pillar of faith in this time. We have the chorus of the crowd recognizing them as redeemed and now that they will be a part of redemption. God has called us to redemption, but also to serve as redeemers. He has come to put his wings over us and then called us to put our wings over others. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone away. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who was no sin to be sin for us, so that we, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are now to live in Hesed. We are to live as redeemers. We are to be reconciling, going to those who are far, far off and calling them to Christ, loving the unlovely, enduring in our love, giving beyond is what, what is expected. We are to be a people who, we are to be a church, loving those who are far away from the righteous truth. We are to Love those who have just returned from the pen <laughs> and those on the way to the pen. We are to love those who are far off, who have the wrong tattoos in all the wrong places. Amen. Amen. Pants that sag, those on the out. Those who have dreads and not even the cool kind of dreads. <laughs> the pierced and the possessed the dispossessed, and those who just got their car repossessed. Those are our people. We hold hands with those who can't even stand. We ring the bell for the poor. We coach the confused. We spread our wings. We sit with the shut-in. We make uh, resumes for the dismayed. Help get jobs for those who feel robbed. You know, uh, recently someone said of my son that he knows no strangers, Ethan. We should be a church that knows no strangers. And then again, we know all the strangers. 
We proclaim that there is more. Christ came for the sinner. He came for the sick. He, he has come to break the chains of slave, the slavery of sin. And to proclaim freedom. So the first one today who has never trusted in Christ, he is calling to you, come to me. If you are far off, he calls even louder, come to me. The person who is, the Christian who's wandered, he says, come home. To those who feel on the outside, know that we were all on the outside. All of us. To those who are liars, lunatics, arrogant, proud, pretentious, he calls to you today. We know that because that's what we once were. Those who are lustful, slanderers, thieves, homosexual, adulterer, pornographer, he calls to you, come home. We know that because that's who we were. Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. And he's calling us to salvation. He's been doing it for a long time. He's provided us freedom, a land of our own, in his very name. Let us rejoice in this Christmas season, for our Redeemer lives.